Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? For those of you who tuned into last episode, we are continuing on this journey of raising and educating kids and concepts around cooperation, well-being, helpfulness, happiness, all those good things. If you didn't listen to last episode, definitely go listen to the episode. I am going through a series of parenting research and child rearing and educating research from foreign countries and a lot of kind of more ancient societies though um resources i've used are the book hunt gather parent bringing up baby the act young parent i believe it's called the danish way of parenting and a scandinavian based book um well actually it's an account of a scandinavian in in america um called there is no bad weather so Last session, last podcast, we talked about helpfulness, how to get kids to be more helpful without really being demanding or kind of authoritarian. Today's episode, we are going to talk about cooperation, how to get kids to cooperate. (laughs) All right, lots to say on this particular topic. And I know a lot of people are really probably thinking that cooperation is an area where they would like to improve. So the biggest thing about cooperation is you need to merge the worlds. What does that mean? You need to merge the worlds of kids versus adult. In American society, we, in Western world, we really separate the two. This is for kids. That's for adults. So kids eat this, adults eat that, kids go here, adults go here, adults do the work, kids do the play. And we really need to merge those worlds. So, so here's a great example. I have a six-month-old, Emerson Quest, and we started introducing him to solid foods, yeah, blended foods, around four months because he was showing signs of wanting to eat foods. The first thing I did was I introduced some of the foods that kids don't necessarily love. So instead of starting with things like apples and carrots and bananas, the things that are all sweet and yummy, I started with things like avocado, tofu, Swiss chard, kale, arugula. And because he didn't have those like yummy sweet things first, he loved, loved, and still loves a lot of these more green-based, healthy, non-sweet foods. And then we've given them the sweet foods and he still loves the green foods. So what the biggest thing is here and my intention behind this is I don't want to make a separate meal for him every time we're eating. Whatever we're eating, I want him to be able to eat too. So I want him to get used to eating the healthy things that we eat so they're not so foreign to him as he grows up. There's a quote from the book Hunt Gather Parent. It's uh, children have only grown up in 
child proof places. I don't think it was even from initially the author. I think it was from somebody else, but think about in US society, children have only grown up in child proof places. How true is that? Like, again, example from my own life, we live in Arizona. I have a family member that has a lot of cacti outside the house and they had said, no, no, you know, we're going to have babies in the house now and around the house. And so we're gonna have to have all those cacti removed. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want you to childproof the house. And in some small way, it makes sense. Like there are things that are extremely dangerous um, that we would want to kind of childproof. For example, we have stone floors and metal steps. I'm not going to not put a gate across the steps, at least for the time being, because I don't want the child who's just learning to crawl fall down the metal steps and crack their head on the slate floor because that's going to end in a serious medical problem. <laughs> but pulling out all the cacti, that's something I don't feel the necessarily is necessarily the, a need to do. We teach the child not to touch the cactus. If they touch the cactus, they get poked. They cry. It hurts. We might have to go to urgent care to get that out. Probably not because my mother's an RN. But <laughs> what the child will learn is the natural consequence of don't touch that. It hurts. Um, and pulling a little piece of cacti out of a, a child, as long as they don't bear hug the thing, shouldn't be too harmful. Now, am I going to let the child have access to the oven or stove when it's on? No, because that could result in a, a permanent damage medically. But there are some small things I can I can do. So one of the other things we did is he recently discovered the outlets and is just intrigued and fascinated and always going over to them. So did we put in the little childproof um, plugs? Yes. And put little stop signs by those as well. So although he can't kind of logically understand that we shouldn't touch these, they're dangerous, they can hurt us. He sees those stop signs. So as he starts to grow into 12-month-old, 18-month-old can talk and he begins to understand language, he'll begin to see the stop sign means stop, don't, don't go there, don't do that. And eventually my desire will be at a pretty young age, much younger than the normal, we pull out those those electrical um, outlet plugs that he learns without needing the plug in. These are off limits. These are not to be touched. So kind of changing the way we do things. Here's another example. Started pulling leaves off of my plants that were on the floor. So my mother wants to move all the, the plants away. I'm like, no, 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 don't move the plants away. We need to teach him not to pull those off the plants, what he can play with instead. So these are just some examples. The idea here is to replace child centers, child center child-centered activities and even things like TV with family-centered. So maybe buying less toys that just the child can use and, and buying things that you as a family can, can enjoy. Less child-based TV shows, device things, and more family-centered device things. I mean, think about all these international cultures. They don't have all child-centered activities. They don't have houses filled with bright, colorful choices that make noise, toys that make noises. Um, and light up and flash and they don't watch only kids shows most of them don't even have tvs so begin to immerse your child into the adult world slowly very slowly because again last episode as i shared too much too fast won't last as jim quick says and note that it is not your job to entertain children it is their job to be a part of the unit to be a part of the team to be a part of the family so begin to integrate them as such and, you know, there's a chance children will start to complain that they're bored because they don't have the same toys or, you know, flashy things that used to um, entertain them. And they, they likely will complain that they are bored. 
let them. That's fine. Just ignore it. And when they ramp up their behavior, because you're not listening, because you're ignoring them, give them some guidance on what they can do and state how you feel. So here's another great example. I worked with a family with an 18 month old that cognitively was like a three-year-old. And we began to teach him that when I meet with them, it's their coaching time with me and that he is not going to be entertained by either parent during that time, nor is he going to be watched by anyone. He's just going to have some toys and things that he can do independently and play by himself while we meet. So we began to script it out. They called it coaching with Lauren. Okay. So-and-so we are going to coaching with Lauren. You can play with this while we are coaching with Lauren. And they kind of introduced it before we met the first time. Then the first time we met, they tell him we're coaching with Lauren. You can, you know, do whatever they suggested he do. And then uh, they came to meet with me. We kept it pretty short the first time. I think it was like 10, 15 minutes because we wanted to see how long could he go before he came over and started to want attention from the parents because he wasn't getting attention. It was pretty quickly. It was probably within three to five minutes. Um, and they guided him back to, nope, we're coaching with Lauren. You can blah, 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 play with toys. I think we let it go about three, four times where they kept guiding him back. And um, I think it ended up being like five, seven minutes, whatever, how long he could last. So like, okay, so next session, let's try and push it to maybe 10 minutes. So next session, it was, okay, we're coaching with Lauren, comes back over, wants attention, kind of ignores, guides him back, states how they feel. We're coaching with Lauren. And then we ended up extending that out at one point. I think we had a session that was like 50 minutes, almost an hour, and he wasn't interrupted at all. So it was tough at first because he kept coming and interrupting and wanting attention. And then he ramped up his behavior because they were ignoring. But the more that they chose to ignore, see their strong feelings and guide him back, the more it extended out the time. And we ended up having a lot of sessions that were 30 to 45 minutes at no, no problem. And he was completely occupied. So give them grace, give it time. It will eventually work. The goal, based on research, based on the book, Hunt Together Parent, she said, you know, the what she has read, what she has learned, what she sees, what she feels is it's this 20-20-20 method. The goal is when you start, you have accomplished or you have gotten to the place that, you know, that you get some freedom or the, the, the end of the target is 20 minutes a day, stay 20 feet away from your children or 20 minutes. That's that's when you know you've like successfully done this. So if you go to the park, instead of always playing right beside your child or being right next to them, start to uh, pull your attention away and do something else, like take a book or take your work or take crocheting, whatever you want to do, and work towards 20 minutes where they play, where you're at least 20 feet from them um, for, for 20 minutes a day. So... Um, and you can extend that out and grow on it, but yeah, well, I wouldn't start at 20, 20, 20, that's the end goal. So maybe it's one minute, five feet away or, you know, try it two or three times a day and you extend that up to three minutes to five minutes, 10 minutes to 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And then you extend the feet away from them from you know, one feet, three feet, five feet, whatever, until you get to 20. So that's the goal. The other thing is beginning to learn to say no to things like, play dates and um parties and zoo trips etc because they're all kid-based things what are some things that you can do on your free time during your week on your weekend that are family-based things I mean, it's okay to say yes to a, a children's party or a play date every now and then but 
even here in Arizona, as I get integrated into the mother's world of things, mother groups and meet mothers, I'm like, wow, the stay-at-home moms, like their whole day is is involved around this play group, this music group, this library class, this, you know, whatever it may be. And I'm just like, oof, that I don't want that to be my life. I don't want to lose my identity in my child. And that's my own personal belief. But I want my child to be independent. I want them to be autonomous. And that means not saying yes to all those things. I still have a life too. And this child learns to do things on their own. And eventually they can... I'll teach Emerson to to plan and organize and execute his own play dates where he'll be able to go on his own. Um, here's a great example of that. I have a family that's based in Philly. They live in the city. They live in a pretty safe part of the city. And they have a five, six, I think she's six years old now. And they started letting her walk down the street to go to the playground and to like friends' houses that were not that far away. But they taught her how to walk across the street. They taught her about safety. They taught her about going and coming back. They taught her about checking in. So, um, you know, they, they go to the door and they let her walk on her own and they can see her from the distance and, uh, they keep an eye on her from a distance, but they don't sit right there with her. They give her autonomy. They allow her to be independent. So thinking about how you can do more of that. And, and you have to teach this, you have to teach the kids how to plan it, how to organize it, how to execute it. They're going to need some guidance some feedback, some coaching, and then they'll eventually get it, but it's worth the time investment up front because it'll give you a lot of freedom down the road maximize autonomy. That's what's going to make successful humans down the road and in the future. The other thing with these like play groups, play dates, they're really overstimulating for kids. Like a lot of activity and a lot of groups all the time, all the week, multiple times a week, many hours of the day, it's overstimulating and it, it really disrupts a child's nervous system. So here's a great example. Took my six month old to the nursery at church. It's zero to 24 month old babies. I no, no. That's way too big of a gap. I don't remember what the age group was, but it was young. I think it was like zero to a 12 months or something. Um, there were like 15 kids in the room and two adults. It was so overstimulating because our baby's crying, baby's crawling, toys being played with, noises being made. And I was just like, Jesus, it's overstimulating to me. I can't even imagine an undeveloped child's brain. So, you know, I, I want to integrate him into some level of that, but I might just do like 15 minutes or something um, because it's just so overstimulating these groups, these activities. So in micro doses. And, you know, if you like some of these things, do them. I like going to the zoo. So I'm not going to stop going to the zoo because I have a child. I like the zoo. That's That to me is a family-centered activity because it's something I enjoy too. So think about what's right for you and your kids, your family, your classroom, whatever it is. And take them to adult things. Like I have done this so much. We go to dinners with friends and, and the baby comes along and the baby has come along since he was like two weeks old because I'm training him and I'm doing so slowly. And if I didn't do it from birth and I'm introducing him now as he's six months or a year, three years, whatever, I've got to go slow. I've got to try like five, 10, 15 minutes and build on that because he hasn't had the introduction from birth. So what I might do is I might state the natural consequence when things start to go south, but I am not going to threaten. So I might say something like, it's a privilege to be here. If you aren't a big enough kid yet, we are going to have to go home. And that's from the text, Hunt Together Parents. So she gives us example of like, I think she was at the eye doctor or dentist or something. And she invited the child to come along and said, you know, here are the expectations. Um, here's what's going to happen if you don't follow through when she started to get a little bit rowdy. She said, it's a privilege to be here. If you aren't a big enough kid yet, we are going to go home. So it's not necessarily a threat. It's a natural consequence. You know, if you can't handle this, we'll go home. And she used big enough kid yet versus, you know, 
bad kid or, you know, not making the right choice because what she's trying to teach is big kids can do this. If you want to be a big kid, which most kids do, then this is how we have to behave. So this is a little bit of soft guidance, not reprimand, not punishment, not threatening. And when kids touch something, which inevitably they will <laughs> remind them, the things that they are touching are not the toys and guide them to what they can touch and what they can play with. Something else that is talked a lot about is not having so many toys or even tossing toys, or at least tossing toys they're no longer using. Because again, multiple toys are overstimulating. And I remember reading in one of the books that we shouldn't get all the toys out all the time, that we should um, kind of pull one or two toys, maximum three out at a time. They should kind of be in a bin or organized so that it's not so overstimulating. And because there aren't, if you reduce the amount of toys you have or the amount of toys you have out, there's less time cleaning up. Therefore, there's less conflict about cleaning up. You have more of your home to yourself as a family and not so much um, child-driven and child-owned, and there's less stimulation for everyone. So it's a really good thing to do to reduce the amount of toys you have. Donate them. Um, when you get a new toy, send a toy out. Let kids come over, pick a toy to take home with them. Um but they don't need things to stimulate them all the time. And think about toys that are like multifaceted, like art-based stuff. You can do lots of things with that. So they don't necessarily burn out of that toy so fast because it doesn't only serve one purpose. Remind um, yourself and note that it's always a let's statement or a we statement because it's team-based. It's not, you need to go do this. It's not kind of directive and authoritarian. It's team-based, let's and we. And start to, you know, if you work or you want to work part-time, full-time, whatever, integrate them into your work. Take them to your work if you if you can and start at a young age and take something along that they can do, whether it's draw, read, or write, or color. Um, and in and, and small doses again, five, 10, 15 minutes, then, you know, maybe come back, try it again, try it again, try it again. So that they learn when you need to work, when you go into the office, when you're at home and you're working, that they need to do this thing because it is your work time. So come up with that script. It's work time. You can blank. Okay. It's mommy's work time. Okay. It's my work time. Um, so just make sure you're, you're clear. And when you're looking for solutions to whatever, um, take them along on the journey, seek their input, um, or show them how to do the stuff that you're doing, bring them into your world. Um, like for example, if I create like a, a PowerPoint presentation or, you know, some type of Google slides presentation, I might show my kiddo not now cause he's six months or maybe I do, but I might show them the slide deck and talk a little bit about what I'm doing in children's terms. I might take them along. Here's a good example. Emerson went along to a conference I had a couple months ago. I spoke for two hours. Aaron came along with him to hold him and entertain him because I couldn't hold him while I was speaking. But Emerson came along to see me speak so he could learn that, you know, this is something we do as a family and this is something that mom does for work. So he was very much a part of my world. Uh, so I'll take him along whenever I can. I'll ask him for his input when I can. I'll show him what I do and I'll ask him for ideas and solutions. Again, could take months. So be easy with yourself. Go light. Start small. Today's list of questions. Lately, I am fighting a lot with my kids. First step is to check yourself. Are you softening? Because when you go hard, when you go authoritarian, that causes them to armor up and fight you back and get defensive. So disarm yourself, check yourself, check your tone, check your facial expression, check your body language. And that will already reduce the fighting. Because if you're fighting, somebody's going up and that means the other person's going with them. 
set boundaries for your communication. What does that look like? You could say no screaming, no raising your voice, no walking out. Um, you know, what, what are the boundaries you have for the communication with, with your kids? And maybe think about when is a good time to have these discussions, uh, problem-solving conversations, communications. If it's a tough conversation, schedule it at a good time. And finally, problem-solve for things that aren't going well. You know, if you're fighting a lot, solve the problem for what you can do when you're fighting or how to stop the fighting. Sit down and go through the four steps that we have talked about in a previous episode of the podcast, the problem-solving episode. I think I've talked about this multiple times. There's also a free course online that I created on problem-solving but going through those four steps of you felt, I felt, what's the problem? What are some solutions? Solve it together, include them in the process of it, which is such a good thing for cooperation, which we just talked about. And they'll feel like they're a part of, and you don't have to solve the fighting problem yourself. All right, that takes us to wrapping up our show, which is our try it at home tip. Come up with a script to use for your independent time or your work time? What's the same script you're going to use when you want time away from your kids in the same setting as them? Coaching with Lauren, it's mom's work time. I need some self-time. You know, what, what is that script? And use the same script every time because that's what's going to cue them to go do their thing on their own. And that's it for today's episode of Returning to Us Podcast. Remember the try it at home tip, script your independent time. If you're looking for more support in the areas of stress, trauma, behavior, or the brain, I'd love to be a part of that learning journey. The Behavior Hub offers a wide range, actually not so wide, but we offer some different things like coaching programs to families or to schools, educators, districts, teachers, and some online courses, one of which gets you university credit from the University of Pennsylvania around stress, trauma, behavior. So if you want more information, text me at 717-693-7744. Or shoot me an email on the behaviorhub.com website. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer. Thanks for joining me.